Our scripture, our scripture today comes from Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. It was so funny. This week I, I watched that uh, video on Wednesday, and when I watched it, I um, then left, and Wendy and I trekked up the hill. Trent played football uh, up against Watauga Middle School, and so we went up there to watch this, uh, watch this game, and it's been, a, it's been a rough year for West McDowell Middle School football, as Trent and Riley can attest. Um, we've not won a game, and but we were playing under the big lights at Appalachian State. How cool is that, right? And, and at Appalachian State University. And so though we didn't win, Trent got uh, a few good tackles. And they said his name out loud where everybody could hear it over the, you know, the loudspeakers, the sound system up there. So when I picked Trent up from, from West, we were driving up the road. And it was just he and I in the car at this point. And I looked over at him and I said, listen, Trent. It's one thing to be 12 and have your name said over the loudspeakers at Appalachian State. But if you want me to truly be proud of you, do it when you're 19. And he looked over at me like, are you serious? (laughs) I was just trying to practice this video thing here. Um, But the reality is that often we parent with these expectations that uh, God doesn't even have for our own kids. There are expectations that are somewhere born deep inside of us, or we uh, pick them up along the way somewhere, and uh, we place our kids under tremendous undue pressure. The title of the sermon is Raising Your Kids Without Losing Them. How can you raise your kids without losing your kids in the process? And uh, this is the balancing act between the kid's role and the parent's role that you and I must try to get as parents. Uh, Verse 1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, There are two commands for kids, two commands for parents. And so let's look at the two commands for kids first. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The command for kids is to obey and honor your parents. All right, the two commands, obey and honor your parents. And, And we need to define this word, obey. What does it mean to obey? Uh, One of the ways to figure this out is to look at this word and where it occurs elsewhere in the New Testament. And this word is a compound of two words. It means to hear under. To hear under. When you obey someone, you listen to someone who is over you. That's what obedience looks like. To obey is to hear under someone else. And so here we have the word uh, obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, where else do we see this in the New Testament? Remember the story of Jesus being on the boat? And the storm comes up, and Jesus is asleep at the bottom, and the disciples are afraid, so they wake him. And when they wake him, he comes up, he speaks, and the winds and the waves do what? They obey. 
The winds and the waves obey. In other words, they hear under uh, Jesus. They hear his voice and they do what he says. Uh, another story in the New Testament, Jesus encounters someone who is possessed by demons. He speaks to the demons and the demons obey him. They hear under. We're developing now a concept of what it means to obey. To obey is to hear under there are um, there is a list of uh, of uh, uh, times that the word obey uh, appears in the New Testament. You can obey sin, you can obey the gospel, you can obey teaching. Uh, uh, servants obey their masters. Abraham obeyed God's call. So herein lies the challenge, and herein lies the problem. In our culture, when we think of children obeying their parents, here's what that obedience often looks like. Mom, dad tells kid to do something, and the kid says, well, maybe if I want to, right? They may not say it out loud, but their actions are a, well, maybe if I want to, uh, it could be, well, if I like what you're asking me to do, if it doesn't inconvenience me, I will obey you uh, later if I feel like it. Argue first, obey later. Uh, say why you don't want to do what it is mom or dad is telling you to do. And then later, once there's been maybe three or four exchanges between you and your mom or your dad, you'll do what it is they ask you to do. Uh, does that sound familiar to any kids in the room? Some of you are smiling at me, which I take that as familiarity. You understand. Let me, let me ask you this. Imagine this scene. Jesus steps out on the boat. He looks at the wind. He looks at the waves. And he says to them, peace, be still. They're, they're rocking the boat. It's sure disaster for the disciples in the boat. They're going to die. And what if in that moment the winds go, oh, it's just so much fun to rock against the boat. Jesus is like, come on now. You know, I told you to be still. I told you to calm down. And the wind is like, oh, but it's so much fun to come sweeping down the mountain. Just let me do it one more time. Uh, do you think the disciples in that moment are going to be impressed with Jesus? Uh, probably not. That word obey is what biblical obedience looks like if you are a, a child, if you're a teenager, if you're preteen, and you are one of his, you belong to God, you belong to Jesus Christ. When you choose to obey your parents, you obey first. But you say, what if mom or dad don't fully understand the dynamics? Okay, often we do not. That's fine. You begin your obedience, listen, you begin your obedience, and then as you are obeying, it's perfectly fine to say, okay, mom, I understand what you're saying, but here's, what I, here's, here's a question I need you to answer for me. As you are obeying, delayed obedience for a teenage Christian kid, for a preteen kid, for an elementary school kid, isn't obedience at all. 
If you look at the word, it is clear that when parents speak, you hear under them and you do what they say. If you're on a team, when your coach speaks, you do the same. If you're in class, when your teacher instructs, you do the same. If you're at work, when your boss speaks, you do the same. There may be discussion that can follow. It should follow. It should not be first. But we live in a culture where it comes first. We live in a culture where obedience is like two or three lines down uh, from from the actual uh, instruction that is given. And it should not be so, according to Scripture. It's immediate obedience. Dave Stone, pastor of uh, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Texas, or Louisville, uh, uh, Kentucky, a a church of of 20-some thousand, shares the story. He said he and his family were in a developing country on a mission trip. And if you've ever been in a developing country, you know that traffic patterns uh, are terrible. I mean, just driving is crazy. His whole family was there. He said, my six-year-old was playing out by the road. It had gotten dark, and he's just, he had this little game of bouncing back and forth from the sidewalk to the edge of the road, sidewalk to the edge of the road. And he said, when all of a sudden I heard but did not see a, a, a motorcycle, a moped coming flying down the road, and I yelled, Samuel, Samuel, stop, and immediately he froze. And he said, just in the next second, that moped went flying by, and he would have been in its path. Samuel's obedience saved his life. We say, well, Jerry, will my obedience save my life? Probably not, but it will save you a lot of heartaches. It will save you a lot of pain. Is there ever a time when you shouldn't obey your parents only if they're telling you to do something that contradicts God's will, God's plan? Only if they forbid you to worship, they forbid you to serve God. Only in those moments should you, should, and even then, the word honor is still here. John Stott says in his work, there are three motivations for obedience. Look at them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. There is the gospel motivation, he says. We are to obey our parents because Jesus Christ came and submitted himself to the Father. On the cross even, Jesus said, not my will, but your, in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus is our supreme example for obedience to the Father, for respectful obedience. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. There's a gospel motivation. Secondly, there is a, a motivation from nature, for this is right. It just makes sense. If you study civilizations, you will discover that civilizations that are healthy and strong have a parent structure where mom, dad speak, and the kids obey. Every civilization that is strong has parents who are authorities, kids who submit to their authorities. It is simply right. It just makes sense for you as a kid to obey your parents. It makes sense. And then... There's a motivation from the law. 
honor, which means to revere, to respect your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Let's talk about that for a moment. It is one of the most misunderstood commands. How do we know? If you go to a funeral of somebody who's lived to be 90, what do people say? Well, she must have she must have honored her mom and her dad, right? You've heard that on more than one occasion. She must have honored her mom and her dad. What is the problem with that thinking? Here's the problem with that thinking. Yesterday, in this place, we did a funeral service for Rachel Kinniger, who died at the age of 34. If that promise means... That if you honor your parents, you will live a long time. Then we would deduce that Rachel didn't honor Greg and Jackie. And Greg and Jackie will tell you she did. That doesn't make sense then, does it? What does it mean? Here's the best way for us to get at that. If you look at that command, it was given by Moses to Israel when they were on the other side of the Jordan River getting ready to go into the promised land. The promised land was their place. God had promised them their specific land where they were to live, to dwell, to have victory. If you read the book of Joshua, it covers 20 years of battles fought and won. It's a remarkable book. What God was saying to them, and this is really an unbelievable connection, but don't miss this, to them, if you will honor your parents, it will be somehow connected to your success as a nation, as a people. I will give you success in the land. I will give you victory in the land. How in the world would we apply that today? Here's the deal. Children, when you honor your parents, God says they are a means of grace in your life. Godly parents are a means of grace. When you honor them, I will fulfill, I will carry out, my plan for your life. That's what he does. Parents communicate God's design for their children's lives to their children. Honor your parents. You'll live long in the land, meaning you will live according to God's plan for you. What is the flip side of that, kids? Listen up. You don't honor your parents. You're choosing to do your own thing. It's like walking out into a downpour of rain and removing a protective umbrella that God has put over you called mom and dad. That's what it's like. This is an argument from Old Testament law. So those are the commands for kids. Obey, honor your parents. How about us as parents? All right, tables turn. Now it comes to us. Parents, do not provoke, but bring up 
your children. So there's a negative command and there's a positive. Do not provoke and bring up. Now, I must share this with you so you know how countercultural it was for Paul to make this statement. First of all, it says fathers, and it literally means fathers in the Greek. Why would he address fathers? In the Roman culture, a Roman dad had total say. Uh, it was so much so that when his wife had a child, her nurse would bring that child present the child to the father. And the father, if he did not like what, how the child looked, if there was something weak about the child, could in that moment there of presentation say no. And that child would be sent away as an orphan or at the very worst, killed. Only because the father didn't approve wow. Even after the child, let's say father approves child begins to grow. If that child proves to, uh, to be too weak, insufficient, according to that father's judgment to live in the home, he could sell his own child as a slave. He could put his own child out. Fathers had this totality of control It is into that that Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, Fathers, do not provoke your children. Wow. What is he trying to say here? He is speaking directly against the culture of the day. The Bible is now rubbing, uh, the truth of God's word is now rubbing against the culture. How would we apply that today? Here's how we would apply it. There are fathers and mothers in this room. And one of you is the stronger personality. And if anybody's going to provoke your kids, it's you. What does it mean to provoke them? To exasperate them. How do parents do this? Perfectionists. Perfectionists' parents exasperate their kids. How? Kids can't ever get it right. Kids don't ever figure it out. Kid does something, immediately the parent sees how he could have done it better, how she could have done it better. Exasperates. They're kids with perfectionism. Performance. The only time a kid is praised is when he does well. The only time a kid is praised is when the grades are good or when the uh, runner is batted in or when the points are scored. Performance. So you have perfectionism. You have performance. Overprotection. Parents who come in around their kids, do not allow their kids to to experience in the appropriate way with appropriate boundaries what they need to. And those kids grow up resenting mom, resenting dad. They look at other kids and go, wow, why didn't I? Why was it that I never? Overprotection can exasperate kids. Uh, do not provoke your children to anger. It's interesting, the converse, but bring them up. That word means to nourish. 
it's, it's almost always connected with women. Women tend to be, not always, tend to be the more nourishing of the two. Uh, a woman just tends to be. Most kids, when they're sick, want who? Mama. Most kids. Because most mamas tend to be that nourishing kind of person. They want their mama when they're sick. But here, remember, Paul is addressing this to whom? Dads. Dads, nourish your children. Uh, It means to provide for them uh, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Everything they need, nourish, provide. Meet their needs. How? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So discipline, we looked at that last week. We're not going to get into it today. You can go download that sermon. But discipline um, is correction and instruction. And then this word instruction is different from the word instruction last week. It, it means warning. At times, parents, you will have to warn your children about danger. Uh, That danger can come from wrong relationships. That danger can come from wrong friendships. That danger can come from wrong events or situations that your kids may be drawn to, but they should never go to, they should never participate in. Perhaps the danger comes from the mistakes you've made. And you see those, and you look at your kids, and you say, listen, when I was your age, This is the mistake I made. This is where I struggled. I just don't want you to do the same things I did. It's appropriate to have those conversations of warning and to warn your children of those things that may catch them off guard. Kids often have a tendency to think mom and dad are just old fogies when this happens. Ah. There they go again. I knew they were going to say no. I knew as soon as I asked what the answer would be. It's just down the road kids tend to appreciate those no's. You warn them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does this look like? I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones, the old British preacher, said about this. Behind the parents who teach and discipline their children... There stands the Lord himself. Parents, when you do this, Jesus is in your corner, standing there for you. All right, so how do you do it? How do you do this as parents? You, without exasperating, you nourish. Here's the deal. If I could only have one book besides the Bible to read on parenting, this is the book. And I would recommend it, hands down. No second book for me comes close, and it's The Gift of the Blessing by Smalley and Trent. Let me tell you why. If you've never read it, and you are an influencer of people, meaning you're a boss, you're a coach, you're a parent, you're a teacher, you're a grandparent, you ought to read Smalley and Trent's book. Why? Because in it, they describe the biblical blessing that happened in the Old Testament and how to carry that out in people's lives, specifically for your children. 
I read it years ago when I was a youth minister. I began to put it in practice then. And then when I became uh, a dad, thankfully, I'd had a lot of good practice on a bunch of kids. So let me walk through the five elements of a blessing they talk about. Number one, meaningful touch. Meaningful touch. What does that look like? I'm going to be intensely practical. If you've got a boy or if you've got a daughter who's young, for a dad, it's wrestling. All right? Kids love to wrestle. And for moms too, some moms, but mostly for dads. I have no clue how many times I've wrestled with either Hannah when she was younger or Trent mostly when he was younger because he could beat me now, but uh, I have wrestled with them only to hear Wendy scream from the kitchen or yell from the kitchen, would you be quiet? Why? Because I pinned them down and they screamed. They knew. All they had to do was scream and Wendy would rescue them, right? She can't stand the noise. Uh, but wrestling, I mean, just, just meaningful touch and that begins to change. Parents, I want you to hear me on this, especially parents of daughters, Dads, especially of daughters. When your daughter becomes a teenager, preteen, teenager, and uh, things get awkward, you know, with her, and she's changing, don't assume you stop hugging her and touching her in the appropriate ways. Please hear me. If you do, she'll look for a boy to do what she's missing from you. She will. She'll look for a boy to give her that touch of affirmation, that hug that says, I love you, honey. That high five, that fist bump, whatever it is. Yes, it's different than when she's five. There's no doubt. But it does not stop at all at that point. Absolutely critical, meaningful touch so very important a spoken message you you need to say something Uh, a spoken message they need to hear words of affirmation from you you value them uh, not for what they do but for who they are Uh, how do you measure this here's how consider the words that come out of your mouth first thing in the morning are they positive or negative? You say, oh, Jerry, that's so unfair. If you saw how my kid got out of bed, and I'm supposed to be positive in that moment, that is so unfair. But seriously, consider the bulk of your words as they roll out to your kids. Are they positive or are they negative? Spoken messages are so significant. Number three, third way to bless, attach a high value. Attach a high value. How do you do this as a parent? You value your kids for who they are, not what they do. You value your children for who they are, not what they do. You say, how does this look? Well, if you only speak well of them when they score the winning basket, If you only speak well of them when they're playing in the game and not riding the pine, if you only speak well of them when the report card looks good, if that's the only affirmation you give them, you are communicating clearly to them their value to you is what they can do. 
not who they are. Uh, How do you attach high value? You find those characteristics that are unique of your kids. And guess what I've learned? This never ends. It doesn't matter how old they are. They like hearing that. What is it about them, unique about them, that you love and that God has created them? In, in, uh, I just did the Old Testament midterm for uh, my Old Testament. I've got one of my students sitting right here, um, and uh, Carlin. And in the Old Testament midterm, we talked about being created in the image of God. The imago Dei, the image of God, that means that you are of worth just because you're created in his image. You matter just because you're created in his image. It doesn't matter your abilities, what you're able to do or not able to do. You are created in the image of God and as such, you matter. Attach high value. Number four, picture a special future. All right, with all due respect to the teenagers and preteens in the room, and I so am glad you're here, so many in our early service, but you don't see past the ends of your noses. You you think about what what's good for tomorrow or maybe today. Most teenagers don't think a week down the road or a month down the road, and there's a certain Good part of that. You ought to have a time in your life when not like us adults, we're thinking months and years ahead. You're just thinking hours and days ahead, maybe, if you get to days, right? So what's our job as parents? We think ahead, and we draw a picture for them. We help them to see themselves later. It's as if they're a blank canvas and we write on that canvas or we draw on that whiteboard and we say, can you picture yourself here? Say, how do you do that? Word pictures are good. There are just multiple ways that, that you can do that. Trips where you point out different things with Hannah, uh, on more than one occasion, as she was in middle school and high school, we would talk about college, what college might be like, what that experience might be. Could you picture yourself here? If your kids are muddling through college, gosh, just cap and gown it, right? Just, just imagine yourself walking across the stage with your cap on and your gown on, and you are a college graduate I've heard my wife say that to Hannah on more than one occasion. And she said, and we're going to party when you graduate. Right? We picture that. On more than one occasion, I've said to Hannah, Hannah, pretend that your your arm is in mine, and we're about to walk through the doors. And there's a man standing down there. Who is he? Tell me about him. What does he look like and how is he going to be? You picture, you paint a special future. Number five, active commitment. Active commitment. What does that mean? That means that the very last thing ever on your mind as mom and dad of your kids is divorce. 
you say, I'll hang in here. And we'll, we'll work on this marriage so that we can raise these kids together. You commit. It means when things are, are good, you're there. And when things aren't good, you're there too. I think it was last spring that Trent was uh, uh, stayed over for a baseball game, and uh, he called me. And I said, what's up? And he said, Dad, it isn't good. I said, what? He said, well, it's really too, too bad for me to talk to you about over the phone. I was like, oh, son. I said, who are you with? And he named the two assistant principals of the middle school. Well, that isn't good. And so I said, I'll be right there. And he said, oh, I'm just kidding. I said, I'm coming anyway. And it isn't good. (laughs) You will regret this sudden racing of the heart. Years off my life, right? But there are those times when if you raise kids... It won't be good at times. Will you love them then? Active commitment says, I'm in for the long haul no matter what. You've got me. I'm not going anywhere. You may be vehemently disagreeing with them. You may be making decisions that they despise. But your love for them is unbelievable diminished that's how to raise your kids without losing them children obey parents nourish nourish